0: Okay, turn us to Psalm 37 30. with me as I hope to encourage you this morning um, to commit ourselves to some good things for this coming year. Psalm 37, and we'll read verses 1 to 9. This is a portion of the passage that was read this morning by Paul. But within this uh, these brief nine verses, there is a lot for us to unpack and also to, um, to learn from. So hopefully you'll be blessed by this message. Psalm 37, verse 1. A Psalm of David. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself, because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildo- evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll, we'll uh, see what he has for us today. Father in heaven, as we've entered into a new year, I pray that our hearts, our minds would be directed to you. Lord, that you would be first in our lives is our desire. And I pray this morning that I'd be able to encourage my brothers and sisters here who do know you, Father, to commit themselves to you in every possible way. Uh, The greatest two commandments we know in your word are to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love one another as you have loved us. So we pray that this year we would do that more perfectly for you, that our hearts would be Holy yours, that we would commit our ways unto you, trusting you, Lord, to see us through. We thank you for your blessings upon us. We thank you for this place and this time, and we pray that you'd be glorified in our midst today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As I've shared on uh, New Year's Eve, there's a, a beautiful uh, psalm, Psalm 90, which says to... Um, which tells us to uh, number our days. And uh, the thing about that is to recognise that we are only here for a short time. Whether you live for 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, really that in comparison to eternity after is really minuscule. And so we are taught to number our days and value each day. And we sometimes we, we allow ourselves to drift along this thing called life And we find ourselves years later not being where we want to be and lamenting ourselves because we didn't make right choices a while ago i found out a long time ago that it's a little choices you make each and every day that had the longest impacts in our lives you know those seeds that are sown bit by bit end up bearing fruit down the track and in our culture we tend to want to want have things very quickly we want things changed straight away But that's not the way spiritual life works. If anything, the Bible teaches us that if you want to have a spiritual spiritual life and you want to grow, it's going to happen slowly over time. The Word of God has that effect on us when we put our trust in its precepts. But more importantly, when we have our relationship with the Lord, He has an influence on us. And that relationship helps us to grow more like Him. The more you spend time with a certain person, guess what? The more you'll be like them. That's why husbands and wives look more and more like each other. The longer they are married.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're still thinking about that, aren't you? You're thinking about it. They're going to pull. They're going to be pulling out the photos from ten years ago and twenty years ago. a bit like those you know people who buy themselves dogs end up buying dogs that look like them ever notice that anyway i I digress so there are the bible tells us not only to number our days and to value the time that we have been given to make the most of it but it tells us also to prioritize things in our lives there are a thousand different directions that we are being pulled in every single day And all those loud voices that are screaming to us and wanting us to go chasing after a thousand different rabbits end up going into all different types of burrows and holes. And sometimes we end up chasing particular rabbits down particular holes and they end up consuming our time for a long time. And then we finally stick our head up out of the ground and we realize, hang on, I've been in this hole for a long time. God doesn't want us stuck in any particular holes chasing any particular rabbits. He wants us chasing Him. He wants us to be like Him. He wants us to follow him. And in doing that, in spending more time with God, guess what? We'll be more like him. And so I'd like for us as we plan this new year that's coming, it's just come upon us, as we look back and maybe wanting to just, you know, to, to put the past behind us and to actually close that door and begin to move and look forward, um, I'd like for us to look at those things which should be the highest priority in our lives. And I'm hoping I can share some principles principles with you from this passage that we can commit ourselves to in this coming year that will actually make a difference for us, not just temporarily, but eternally. Okay, So let's have a look at those now. The first thing you'll notice that it says, is verse 1, A psalm of David, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither. As the green herd. Have you ever been driving down the freeway? Who's a conscientious driver here? We've got a few. Got at least uh, not even ten percent of the church, but it's okay. Um, there are there are many that are uh, very conscientious, but have you ever driven down a freeway and you're doing you're seeking to your hundred or whatever it is, uh, and then people are just going boom 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 boom. Okay. What's the temptation? The temptation is for you to do what? To get angry. The temptation is to want to speed up and join them because they're breaking their law, essentially, but they're getting ahead. And, and pretty soon they've gone miles ahead of you and they've broken the law and no one's pulled them over. And so the temptation is, I'm not saying we do it, right? I'm not encouraging you to break any laws. The temptation is to want to put your foot down just a little bit more, Okay. Or to do what they're doing. You'll notice that it's a temptation. That's not just on the road. that is in many areas of life. You see, the, what the warning here is is that when you look at people who get ahead in life, because they're doing because they, they, they're going around a particular rule, or they're, they're, they're jumping ahead because they're doing something that's not exactly right, the temptation is to want to do it like them because you feel as if you're falling behind. And David here says, don't be envious of them. Don't be envious of people who break the rules, who break the law, who are evil in essentially evil doers. He says, don't be envious nor worried about them. And and essentially the, the argument is that life is short Life is going to be short for them, okay? And eventually they're they're cut off. And so what we look at in terms of, oh, someone's getting ahead of me or someone's breaking the rules and and, getting an advantage over me, um, when you think about being envious of those sorts of people, um, it doesn't make sense for us. It doesn't make any sense at all to be envious of people that are headed to an eternity without God. It's ridiculous. In fact, it's it's as ridiculous as being envious of a a death row inmate because their last meal is prepared prepared for them by a chef. And I don't have a chef to prepare my meals. But I'm envious of the the death row inmate who's going to die because look at the wonderful meal he's getting. Look at how much attention he's getting. That's the foolishness of being envious of people and looking at people that are headed for help. And this, is, this does not mean that we're actually judging them. In fact, it means that we should be not envious, but we should be loving towards them. Because someone who speeds ahead of you on a freeway may find themselves in a terrible accident down the road. And it happens all too often. And he says here in verse 2, For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. So David reminds us about the brevity of life. We're all destined to live only a short time on the earth and to think somehow that doing evil to get ahead in life is the game that those who are blind to the truth and deaf to its teachings do. It's as though if you're a person Let's say you were a third person in the Garden of Eden, okay? You were there and you saw that fateful day when Adam and Eve took of that fruit, of that tree. And instead of being aghast at what they had just done and condemning themselves to death, you actually think to yourself, hmm, I wonder what I'm missing out on. I wonder if if I had what they had because they can see good and evil now. I wonder I'm I'm missing out. And so you get tempted to do the same thing. See, we all, when we look at our lives and compare our lives to the lives of people in the Bible, um, the temptation is always to say, I wouldn't have done that. Don't you think? Don't we do that? Like Moses striking a rock. Come on, Moses, you should have known better than that. I wouldn't have done that. Adam and Eve, we wouldn't have done that. Abraham lying, I wouldn't have done that. How
1: many things would we not have done? Yet how many little things do we do each and every day? You see, one of the oldest lures that the devil uses to
0: bait his hook is the lust of the flesh through envy, is to compare ourselves to other people. And if someone gets ahead somehow, You want what they have. And because you can't get to the same place they are using normal means, you begin to see, all right, well, he got got to this particular place because of this. I'm willing to sort of stretch those rules and see if I can do that. And so you stretch the rule one way, you stretch it a bit more, you stretch it a bit more, and pretty soon you find out that you are way off track. Our whole society seems to be well immersed in this way of thinking. Envy isn't bad, it says. Jealousy isn't bad. What's bad is if you fall behind other people. And so we quicken our pace every year. Who thinks life is slowing down? Anyone here thinks life is slowing down, if you compare it to five years ago or 10 years ago, why is life getting quicker? Why are people chasing more things? Why do people have more things today than what they had 10 years ago or 20 years ago but still aren't happy and want more? Like, what's going on with that? It's because we're being conditioned and have been conditioned to compare ourselves to everyone else. And that's the curse of our society and every society in the world because people continually compare themselves to other people and compare what they have what prospects they have, and then their happiness is dependent upon what they're like compared to their neighbour. And so the devil uses the same tricks over and over and over again to keep people bound by that. And why be envious? What are people envious of? For those who are ahead of you, At a particular time, maybe in your life, from a a materialistic point of view, how often are they there ahead of you? What length of time are they normally there anyway? They're They're not there for very long. And sooner or later, someone else has overtaken them with something else. And then someone else has overtaken them with something else. And so while they're chasing this dream but they never actually find, they dig themselves into a deeper and deeper hole with sin because they put God last they don't know anything about God they don't know anything about salvation and the gift that that it, it was the gift that was granted to us because of the amazing price that was paid for us so they feel as if to squeeze out every ounce of life and happiness in this particular life they have to have all these things but in the end you see there's always a price to pay and Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For the wages of sin is death. You know, maybe people wouldn't sin as much if the wages got paid a lot earlier. You know what I mean? If, if the payment for the wage came immediately after the sin, maybe people wouldn't be as quick to keep on doing it. But death is inevitable. And it comes. Ever watch those Olympic marathons? And I I always get I mentioned the strategy behind all those things, you know, how people, you know, come out of the blocks and how they who goes up first. And what I noticed, and I'm not sure if this is true or if it's just just me having noticed this particular thing, maybe on one particular marathon, but I noticed that um, right after the beginning, a particular group forms the front. OK, and and sometimes it's, it's and, and mainly it's actually not even people that are well known, Like they're people that are fairly new. They're more they, they jump to the front and they begin a lead pack. And then there's a sort of a middle sort of group. And then there's ones already at the end. But those ones, the front are setting the pace. And, you know, and the commentators are saying, oh, so and so is in the lead. And it's, we're talking a marathon here. So we're talking hours. But. Soon after, though, after after a while, when legs start getting tired or whatever else it is, those people slowly, slowly start falling away. And what started off as like a very promising start ends up, they end up disappearing. You don't see them anymore. They end up disappearing in the pack and, and sometimes they don't even finish the race. Those people um, maybe didn't have the experience. And so they want to start quick. They want to get in front of everyone else but then realise eventually that they don't have the actual endurance to keep on going and then the more mature runners, the hardened runners, end up catching up to them, overtaking them, and they end up winning the race. It's a bit like life, isn't it? And we need to be careful about this because in the haste to get in the front, in the haste people wear themselves out and eventually, and the, the, the metaphor here is that they die. You might be ahead in life, monetarily, materialistically, or whatever else it may be, maybe with your career, maybe with your education, whatever else. Maybe you may be ahead in in a dozen different ways. You may be world famous, but in the end, ultimately, you fall back and you disappear. And that's what the Bible teaches us about wanting to be in the front of the pack in this life. That's why Jesus says the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Those who thought to themselves that life is all about being in the front of everyone else will find out in the
1: end that didn't make any difference at all. No, to envy people in this world that are unsaved, that don't have
0: Christ, that don't have an eternity with him already uh, paid for and bought to envy such people is to admit that we are as blind as they are because it's foolishness on our part to envy people that aren't saved. You know, there are people called influencers in this world. Anyone an influencer here? Or that, that phrase influences. So people who influence people to buy stuff and, you know, they promote certain things. You know what? My, Desire is for us that we would
1: influence people for the Lord, that we would be influencers. Psalm 90 verse 10
0: says, The days of our years are threescore years and ten. That's 70. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore, that's 80, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Even if you live 80 years, Ninety years, even a hundred years that's not a very long time when you think about it. so turn with me to Matthew chapter six, verse nineteen, as Jesus gives us advice about where we should be
1: focused on so matthew six nineteen says Lay not
0: up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." you see people store up wealth on the earth and their heart is linked to that to that wealth okay they do it because there's nothing else that they have and so they spend their entire lives chasing materialistic wealth or power or a number of or influence or a number of other things and their heart is linked to those things as they build those things up but the bible tells us not to have our hearts Anchored to this earth, but rather anchored in heaven. And as we build up, I mean, how do you build up treasure in heaven? I mean, is it gold and silver? Power? No, it's none of those things. It's material wealth? No, it's not. This is not about laying up more gold bars in heaven, okay? Because from what I understand, the roads are made of gold. Why would you why would you be packing more gold?
1: It's pointless.
0: The thing is about doing things on the earth that have eternal consequences, that have eternal value. And the only one who can tell us which things are valuable or not is not us, it's God. God can tell us, and God does tell us what, thing, what things are valuable from an eternal point of view. Because the greatest treasures that we can have in heaven are the good works that we have done on the earth that have changed people's lives for the good. And so if I share the gospel with someone, the Bible says that one of the crowns that we receive is when we share the gospel and people get saved or when people simply see my life and what I do or your life and what you do and they're changed as a result of the love that they see in you and that builds up wealth in heaven. Never set, and this is the first principle, never set your goals or aim for something because of envy of other people from any way. Don't be envious of anyone else because you are special to God. You are important to God. He doesn't want you copying other people or being like other people because he wants you to be you because you're special to him as you are. And he wants you to build you up to be more like him. Think of this for a moment. If I have a father, an earthly father, and your father wants you to grow up to be good, right? And so your father spends time with you to teach you, to encourage you, to to you know take you on things where he's trying to be an example to you. Imagine if you go to your dad one day and you say your your dad you ask or your dad asks you um, you know what do you want to do when you grow up? Imagine if your son comes to you after spending your your time with him trying to build him up, and he says, I want to be like like Johnny's dad. What would that do to you as a father? Wouldn't it break your heart? Yet why do Christians do that to God? Why do we, when God says, I want you to be like me, I'm willing to spend all the time with you, do we say, I want to be like that? Don't you think it breaks his heart? I think it does. God wants you to be like him. He's done everything he can for you, and he wants you to be like him, and he will do everything if you would just commit your way to him and don't be envious of other people. Regardless, of I don't care whether it's actually out the church or even inside the church. Don't be envious of people inside the church because there's enough, there's enough um, uh, jealousy and bitterness and envy out there. It should not be in here. So never set your goals or aim for something because you are envious of other people. Let's continue. So rather than having envy as your motivating factor for your goals in 2022, choose another motivation. The Lord. And don't worry about what it may cost you or how how, if it'll make you fall behind other people in this world because there is nothing more important than your relationship with God. And so verse 3 says, trust in the Lord and do good so shalt thou that they'll dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed when the world might seem like it's passing you by take a moment take some time to look at the one who knows all things and who has the wisest counsel for you and me when you trust someone you want to listen to their advice don't you you don't go to people that you don't trust for advice because you don't trust they're going to give you something that's, that's good for you. But if you trust God, you will come to him for his counsel and advice. So when you trust God, you'll naturally want to know what he thinks about something and what he would like you to do. So in the case of wanting to do well in this life, he counsels us, first of all, not to imitate others who are godless, who are lost, but to do good and to put our trust in him. We have the distinct benefit of knowing good and evil because the Holy Spirit teaches us that because he's been implanted within us. And he teaches us that through his word as well. And the good is contained in his word. But you'll notice it says, it doesn't say trust in the Lord and good. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. You see, good isn't good unless it's actually done. I can philosophize all day. I can think about and romanticize the goodness of giving a piece of bread to someone who's hungry outside of my house. I can. That's a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing it would be you know to give someone a piece of bread who's starving or to help someone who's you know who's in a difficult situation or to help someone who's fallen down in the street i can philosophize about that all day or i can i can think about how wonderful it would be with someone's on their deathbed and doesn't know christ about how wonderful it would be to actually share the gospel with them because they're about to step into eternity and maybe share that truth which may change their eternity how wonderful that is
1: But until I do it, it's only a dream. It's only a thought. It's only a principle. You know, one of the... You want to test whether you trust God or not?
0: Do good. That'll test you. Whether you do it or not. You can talk about doing good all day. But until you do it, you will never know whether you trust God or not because doing is always going to cost you something. And whether you're willing to to lose something to do good is going to show how much you really trust God. Whether we turn that thought or that dream into action is going to reveal how much we trust in his counsel and how much we trust in him. And hence our greatest problem. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And as the Apostle Paul admitted in Romans seven eighteen, he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. He says, I, I know there's nothing good in this flesh. For to will is present. In other words, to want to do something is present within me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. You see, our flesh is constantly trying to get us not to do good. But rather to follow evil. And while it can play this game of agreeing that something is nice, you see, the flesh is quite deceptive. It'll agree with you on everything. It'll say, look, that's a beautiful thing, you know, to go out of your way and help someone who's in need. Or it's a beautiful thing, you know, to share the gospel with someone. Uh, It'll agree with you. It feels good to think about and romanticise about those sorts of things. But the moment you say, I'm going to do it, is the moment it begins kicking and screaming all the way. And it doesn't want you to do it. It will resist violently when you tell it, now we're going to go and do this thing. The flesh runs to evil quickly. How easy is it to start talking negatively about someone else who's done something wrong to you? How easy is that? How quick do we fall in that trap? How quick it is to, to gossip about someone else? How quick it is to actually complain and murmur? How quick it is to fall into sin that other people are doing around us? It's quick. Our flesh justifies those things very quickly. It finds the excuse every time for us, always ready to go. Oh, you know, so-and-so, he did something bad to you. You can do something bad to him. He deserves it. Really? Oh, wow. The flesh will justify sin in a moment. But to get it to do something good, it will go kicking and screaming all the way. It will find an excuse
1: for you every time not to do it. So that's what we need to be aware of. We need to be aware that that
0: when your flesh is telling you not to do something that you know deep down
1: is right, which are you going to follow? But the result of pushing ourselves to do the right thing honors God.
0: It shows that we trust him. And even though it costs us every time we do it, Even though we may go through suffering when we say, yes, I'm going to do that thing. There's blessings in it. There are benefits in it. There are eternal values, eternal value in those things. And so he says here, so shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. God not only provides, we know as his children, God not only provides for us as his children, this world, we never have to worry about it. Jesus, in fact, said, if you go worrying about food and clothes and the house you, you, know, you have to live in, he goes, the, the Gentiles worry about those things. He goes, you don't have to worry about those things. God already knows you need food and clothes and whatever. He goes, don't leave those things to God. Don't need to worry about that at all. And so what we do is that we, we have all those things taken care of in our society because we're rich, you see. We're rich. I don't know anyone here who's hungry, who goes hungry and starving because they don't have enough food on the plate. I don't know anyone really from in, in my circle who doesn't have a house to live in, doesn't have a bed to sleep in, doesn't have clothes to wear. Do you know anyone in your, in your lives like that? No, we don't know. So those things are taken care of because we live in a rich society. Even if you're unemployed, you still get money coming in. You don't starve. So instead of us worrying about food, where the food's coming from tomorrow or where I'm going to live tomorrow or do I have clothes to wear, no, 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 we, we go to the next level. Because those things are taken care of materialistically in this world, we then start worrying about other things. Other things begin to occupy our minds.
1: Things that first world people worry about. What happens if I don't have the brand of, uh,
0: of uh, breakfast cereal that I normally get? What happens with the clothes I'm going to wear? What happens if this happens? Or what happens if my car breaks down? What happens if all these things that first world people worry about if the internet goes down? I mean, what an end of the world when the internet goes down. So seriously, when the internet goes down, it's at the end of the world. I can't access my Facebook. I can't access my all my life is stored somewhere in the middle of nowhere. I don't know where it is. I think it's in Sydney. But that's what first people worry about. And Jesus was telling people who were literally living from hand to mouth, and he says to them, don't worry about food. And yet here we are, 2,000 years later, we've got as much food as we can eat, and we start worrying about other stuff. We just replace the food with other things. You see, the flesh is deceptive above all things. The heart is deceitful. And we fall in the same trap over and over and over again. But the Bible tells us to do good. And the Apostle Paul knew that there's a struggle within himself that he, even though he wanted to do good,
1: it was hard to do it. But God always provides for
0: us. That's not something we have to worry about. But when, this, when it speaks about, so shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed, it's not talking to us simply on a physical level. It's actually speaking to us on a spiritual level as well. Did you know that this speaks to us as individuals in our spirit? Because that land is a picture of our lives that God has beautifully planted again like a garden of Eden. And he walks with us. At that, that him, he walks with, us, he with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. Where does that occur? In the garden. What garden is that? Last time I checked, I haven't been to the Garden of Eden in, the, in Mesopotamia uh, recently. It occurs in here. And where I walk with him occurs in my heart. And so within our own lives is a garden that God has planted and that's the garden that counts. And that's where he walks with us and talks with us and tells us that where he is. And so we don't have to worry about things that are outside in this world. But think about the first, the first job that God gave Adam to do. It was to tend the garden. And so God has planted a tree of life within your life. And that tree of life is his own son through whom we have life. And God has... Is now taking away. That's why all the metaphors of, and all the pictures of of the Bible about our lives and what, where it says that you know where, where the sower of the seed is the word of God that's being that's being planted. But there are sometimes it falls on places with rocks, and sometimes it falls on places that are hard ground, and sometimes it falls on places that are thorns and thistles. That's a picture of our hearts. You see, within our hearts there is a place where God has planted His tree of life, but now. He wants us to actually tend to that garden. And so he wants to remove all the weeds. He wants to dig up all the rocks and he wants to plant more and more things in there that are good, that come from his word. That's what we talk talk about the word of God being like seeds that are planted. Because the more we take it in and the more we let it sink into our hearts and take root and bear fruit, is the more we look like him and the more. We have won that victory. So it says here in verse 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. The next thing we do is to learn to love the Lord. Who loves the Lord perfectly here? Oh, we have one. (laughs) She just realized all of a sudden. That was a trick question, Pastor Frank. Yeah, it was a bit. None of us love the Lord perfectly. In fact, we are only learning to love. You see, the Bible teaches us clearly that we love him only because he first loved us. And so when we experience that incredible love that he showed us by sacrificing himself essentially for our sin, we learned what love was. And from that point, we begin to learn to love. Yes, people love their children. They love each other and all that sort of stuff. But to learn to love God's way is a lifelong learning. It doesn't come naturally to us. And so the next thing we we do, the next thing God counsels us to do is to learn to love him and everything that he does. We can appreciate all the wonderful things about him all his characteristics, his attributes. We can, we can appreciate and love what he's done, what he will do. And when we do that, when we spend time with that, we find our own lives being changed and learning to love others as well. And we, don't, we become less consumed with ourselves and more consumed with him. And we begin to fill our lives with not just him, but with other people as well because we learn that we can actually be a blessing to them too. You see, love that overflows from that cup is what God wants from us. He'll pour out as much grace and love and everything that you need if you're willing to accept it. But some of us put that hand over the glass and say, "Not, not just yet, I've got to fill it up with a few other things first. But God wants to fill our lives with his love His grace, His mercy, His peace, His joy. But only when we have those things in abundance can we actually influence others with those things. So delight yourself in God. Delight yourself in the Lord. And when we delight ourselves in Him, in who He is in our lives, in what He is and what He has done, what happens is it ignites new desires in us. It ignites other interests in our lives things more beautiful, things more precious, things eternal. And then what happens is he gives us those desires too. You see, he's not talking about, he's not talking about, you know, he's a lot of these new new age preachers say, you know, commit thy way into the Lord, or whereas delight thyself also in the Lord. And he shall give thee desires of thine heart as if, as if, if I, if I love God, Then, whatever else I may want in this world, oh God, I want a double story house with, you know, a gold plated roof and I want a Mercedes Benz. You know, He'll give you the desires of your heart. It has nothing to do with any of that stuff. Nothing to do with wealth, health, or prosperity in this world. What it has to do with is, is Him. He'll give you the desires of your heart because when you delight yourself in God, He will create new desires within you. Desires that are after his desires. And he'll give you those. And so verse 5 then says, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Now, every almost everyone who crosses over that barrier from one year to the other. He's thinking about New Year's resolutions, right? Hands up who hasn't thought about a New Year's resolution so far. We have, oh, there's a few of us who just don't care anymore. But most of the world, as they cross over the year, are thinking about what do I want to commit myself to in the coming year? What New Year's resolutions do I have? What will I, what will I want to achieve that I didn't achieve last year? making a new resolution means making a choice to essentially take a new path you know people who make those dietary um, uh, resolutions are saying i used to travel down this road when i was eating this was my path hamburgers and french fries or whatever else is that was my path but now i'm going to take a different path this year i'm going to go whatever it is okay I'm going to control my eating. I'm going to go down a eat less meat or whatever it is, or less fat, whatever else it may be. That's simply taking a new path. You're simply saying, I'm going to go a different direction this year. And that can not just be with food. That can be with any area of life, anything that you want to do. So they choose to go a new way. But when it comes to to the choice to follow the way of good, to follow Christ wherever wherever he may lead, People struggle with that commitment. You see, if I only followed the Lord 50% last year, will I make the commitment to follow him 100%? Will I actually do that? If if my last year was not the best in terms of my walk with him, will I commit myself 100% to him? You see, the flesh is already starting to say, no, no, you can't commit 100% because that may mean you've got to give up a whole lot of other things. The flesh already jumps into into that particular argument and says, no, no, you can't. All right, you maybe only were half. Maybe you only came to church maybe 50% of the time last year. Maybe you couldn't come to church anyway. But let's say you only committed to, maybe only read a little bit of the Bible last year, right? And you knew that you were supposed to read more. Or maybe you didn't pray much last year and you know you're meant to pray more. But the moment you start thinking about I I want to commit to praying regularly. I want to commit to reading God's word. I want to commit to meditating on that. I want to commit to serving him faithfully. I'm going to commit to being at church every Sunday. I'm going to commit to loving my neighbor as myself. I'm going to commit to using my gifts for God everywhere I am. I'm going to commit to sharing the gospel this year with as many people as I can. See, that's the hard one, isn't it? The moment you begin to say those things, there's the moment your flesh starts saying, you can't do that. Don't even think about it. Don't even put it down on paper. Don't write it. Don't even uh, mention it anymore. If you want to commit your way, as it says in verse 5, unto
1: the Lord, that takes effort. That does take commitment.
0: Committing your way unto the Lord is not an easy way. Because walking in God's way in this world is walking often counter to everything else in this world. So God is not really concerned about what my career is, where I choose to live, what car I drive, what clothes I wear. God doesn't really care much about those things, to be honest with you. He's happy to do whatever job you want. The Bible simply says to provide for your family. Okay, and not be lazy. Doesn't tell you that you have to be this thing or the other thing. doesn't care about, the Lord doesn't care that much about your career or where you choose to live or what hobbies you may have or what cars you drive or whatever else that this world worries about or has on its mind. What he is interested in is the path you choose to walk for him. That's the thing that interests him. Will you walk that path? The Bible teaches us that God has pre-prepared, pre-prepared works for us ahead of time that we should walk in them. That's the path that he's, he's got prepared for us. The question is whether we're going to walk his path or whether we're going to walk another path. God is interested in the path you walk for him. And so He's. if you choose to make that commitment today and you say, God, I want to walk down your path today what you can be guaranteed is that there's already works being prepared ahead of time for you to do. The question is, when you get to that particular point, am I going to say, all right, I'll do it? And the test will be, the next one, will I do it? And then the next one, will I do it? He'll have them prepared for you. You know, if you ever pray, Lord, open up the doors so I can share the gospel with people, you know what he'll do? He'll put people in your path. He'll open the doors of conversation. The question is going
1: to be, Will I open my mouth? What he is interested in is the path I choose to walk for him and the steps that I take.
0: And he's not talking about earthly things here because look at verse 6. This is this is what he wants to bring out for you. In verse 6, this describes what his goal is for you. He says, and he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. That's what he wants for you. God is not concerned about your your richness or even your health that much. Health comes and goes. He's not concerned about your health. You see, the apostle Paul, who had been beaten, stoned, um, shipwrecked, Um, it didn't seem as if God was
1: that concerned about his health, to be honest with you. It's estimated that he was beaten that many times on his back.
0: Yet here's Paul in a prison in Rome, not lamenting himself at all. He simply says, I know within me there's no good thing. And meanwhile, his friends have deserted him and he's cold. Because he says, tell him to tell, uh, I think it might have, was it Timothy or one of the other ones, to bring my coat. God wants to bring forth righteousness in your life. He wants to make you holy. He did not save you and me to leave us as we are. He wants us to be holy like him. And he will do what it takes to make us holy. But you know what we can refuse?
1: To our own loss and the loss of those people around us. But the question now is, do we actually trust him? Do we actually trust him?
0: Do we? if we have then it will show up in what we do.
1: And God will grant us the desires if the desires are his. He saved
0: us to be holy like him. He didn't save us to be wealthy, healthy, powerful, influential. He did not save us for those things. Look at verse 7. Because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Now, while you are on the way, if you've committed your way to him and you're delighting yourself in him, he says, rest in him. But while you're on that path with him, expect, you, expect rejection, expect it. Because Jesus says, the servant is not greater than his master. And so if the master's experienced those things, and he did, then we should expect it as well. And I'm not say, telling you, this does not mean that we go picking fights with everyone. We're not in this world to pick fights with anyone. But we, are, we expect to have resistance against us if we walk along his paths. Now we've gone through a difficult A difficult last two years. And in in a number of different ways. A lot of us have experienced different things. And maybe over the last, last year or two, we've grown in certain ways. Maybe we haven't grown in certain ways. And fear not just within the world, but fears within the church. Fears. Fears that has crippled people. Because they're so afraid of what's going on. That shouldn't be us. There's no need to... When you have God on your side, there's absolutely no need to fear anything. We don't have to worry about things that may affect us. You don't have to worry about away from the Lord. There are plenty of evil people in this world. You don't have to look far to find them. Plenty of evil people. And there are people who are evil in power. There are people who are evil who aren't in power. In fact, the world is filled with evil people. In fact, you know what? You see, we are sinners saved by grace. The difference, as the Apostle Paul says, is nothing good in my flesh. The only thing good in me is what is Jesus himself. We need to remember that always. Don't get bogged down by by other people's fears being thrown onto you. It's inevitable if you follow the Lord, there will be obstacles to our own. The counsel here is to rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Rather than fretting ourselves about what evil people are doing and what they may be up to because they seem to be prospering in their way or gaining more power, because of evil plans or devices created by men to make themselves get ahead. And it's probably perfectly true. People love power. People love influence. But for us, their way is not our way. You see, we've been called to walk a different path. We're walking along God's path, not theirs. And so we need to be careful not to be jumping off of our path and marrying ourselves up with them. Our path is not the same. Neither are our weapons the same. In conflict with flesh and blood, but with spiritual powers enthroned in high places. That is not people. That is the devil himself who is influencing, trying to influence and get us
1: off the track.
0: Definitely on God, rest in him, and just keep along your path. Keep faithful along your path that God has given you. Don't jump off to follow other people. Don't jump off your path to resist them. They'll eventually fall into the same ditch. Look at Matthew 15 as we just about to wrap this thing up. Matthew 15, verse 10. This is Jesus' own advice to us. Our path is to bring light into this world. It's to bring God's truth into this world and to pray that the Lord opened their eyes with that light. But this is what the Lord himself says about people who are opposed to us. Matthew 15.10 says, And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which might shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. So here's Jesus. He's teaching a principle that something you eat, that goes into your mouth, doesn't defile you as a person. But rather what comes out of your mouth is because it co- what's what's coming out of your mouth is what's already in your heart. And if sin and lust and greed and hatred is coming out of your mouth, it's already existing there. So he says what comes out of the mouth, that actually defiles a person. And so it offended the Pharisees. Immediately, they got upset. you had to be very, very careful about the exact the things you had to eat and, and why you had to eat them, and so they fa- they they followed very very strict dietary laws, but failed time and time again, not realizing that the words they're speaking out of their mouth is revealing how much sin they've got in their heart. They they weren't they were so worried about what they ate, they forgot about how much hatred was coming out of their mouths, how how a lack of grace, how much of a lack of grace they had. How they spoke highly of themselves compared to other people. How they judged others, but rather than helping them, separated themselves from people who weren't as holy as they were. Comes out of a mouth that defiles a man. Not what goes into the mouth. So they got upset. Now, the disciples immediately came and said to Jesus, Jesus, they got offended at what you taught. They got offended at that because you've contradicted them. So when Jesus hears that they've been offended, um, did Jesus immediately go go to them and rebuke them? No. By saying, you know, oh sorry guys, I think you've misunderstood me. No. Did he worry that they were conspiring to kill him? No. Did he know they were conspiring to kill him? Yes. What what did he change? Nothing. He kept doing what he had to do. He kept on the path that he was called to be on. He didn't go chasing after them. He didn't go worrying about them. He did what God the Father had called him to do because if he'd started chasing after them, he couldn't do what
1: God the Father had called him to do. He just says, lead
0: them. They're blind, lead them the blind. We've been called to follow this path. You keep on following me and we'll keep on going. Leave them alone. We've got much more important work to do than what they're, they're running around with. Don't get into arguments with them or trying to counter your their moves with your moves. You know, ever, ever been uh, online with people and had a, a, and entered into arguments with them online? Ever been in those chat rooms and, you know, you get into topics about, you know, evolution and that? No. Don't waste time doing it. Because I've, I went through that phase in my life where I thought to myself, you know what, I can talk to people on the net. You know, I can, we, can, we can talk to each other and I can influence them directly. Do you know how many people were changed as a result of those conversations and many hours of messing around with
1: arguments with people all day? But arguments actually don't, normally don't help anything. But this is what we've been called to do. We've been called to choose to love people
0: to share the gospel with them, not just with our words. but with Because all the confrontations, all confrontations ever do is actually just make people angry in life. And anger and bitterness is like a slow-moving cancer that eventually takes you over. There's no end to it, all right? But look at what it tells us. Finally, it says, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Don't you jump into that either. For evil doers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. You know, anger and wanting to get evil or maybe have done something wrong to you only brings bitterness to ourselves. In fact, we are called to forgive them as Christ has forgiven us. Now, that's hard. That's the harder thing to do. You know, it's the word of advice quickly. The thing that's normally the harder thing to do is the thing that's normally the right thing to do. It's normally the harder one. It's the one that's not palatable in a way. It's something that it seems like I have to, if I have to forgive someone who's done something evil against me, I have to let it go and leave it with God. And that's harder to do than wanting to get even with people. Wanting to get even with people is the easy thing to do. It falls into our flesh. But the Bible says here to cease from anger, forsake wrath. Anger leads people to many terrible decisions, some of which have terrible consequences. But walking with the Lord brings peace. And now we go back to the start. Because evildoers, whoever they may be, will cut off. They will lose all the things that they had built up over their lives, including their own soul. That's why we are told not to hate our enemies. We're not told to imitate our enemies. We're not told to get even with our enemies. We're not told to even spend time thinking about our enemies. We are told to love our enemies. We are told to do good around today, plenty of evil around today. But you know what? The righteous will inherit the earth. It's a done deal. God's not going to renege on any of those those promises that he's made, and that is one that will happen. But until then, we are told to walk his path. Don't deviate, not to the left, not to the right. Don't let your own flesh distract you off of it. Do the thing that you know to be good and right. And so as we begin a new year, let's put that past year behind us. Let's put the last two years behind us but let's indeed put it behind us and let's look forward to what the Lord has for us and to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength, knowing that he will never
1: leave us nor forsake us. Trust.
0: Uh, Past a lot to think on there of the hymn books. 393. Take my life and let it be. 393. We are singing together. opportunity lord to live for you and to share our love for you with those around about us give us safety as we travel home dear lord be with those again who are away on holidays and keep them safe and that uh, in due course we'll be all back together worshiping in a church family thank you again for